Well, good morning to you. Happy Halloween, or what I call the very last day before Christmas season begins. Praise the Lord. <laughs> a month and 24 days to little Ralphie and his BB gun. It's going to be a wonderful season for sure. Uh, <laughs> let me go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking through verses 4. Uh, through 16. And as you're turning there, if you're here as a guest, if you're watching online, if you're listening to our podcast, we are so grateful for you. Thank you so much for joining us for worship uh, this morning. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll jump right into God's Word. Father, what an incredible truth to be reminded of this morning. We couldn't run, we couldn't run from your presence. We couldn't run, we couldn't run from your arms because you love us so much. Well, we thank you for the cross this morning. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for salvation. And Lord, I pray now as we open up your word, Lord, that you would remind us of your mercy towards us, of your steadfast love towards us, how you pursue us, Lord, and how you work through us even when we fall short. Thank you for your grace this morning. Speak Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout uh, the history of God's people up to this very day, God has used very flawed individuals to expand his kingdom and purposes on this earth. He's used pagans, he's used murderers, he's used adulterers, he's used prostitutes and doubters and deniers and stutterers and cowards and boasters racist, and even terrorist to expand his kingdom purposes despite all of their obvious flaws. The amazing thing is that despite the reality that these people did hurt people individually, that these people hurt the name of Jesus and the name of the church, that even in those situations that God, even in the small season, still used them and worked through them and pursued them for the sake of of his mission. It is an incredible thing to think about God's sovereign power despite all of his chosen vessels, many mistakes. God is merciful. He is gracious. And this morning, Jonah the prophet is such a great example of this very fact. Last week, we were introduced to Jonah who was commanded by the Lord to go to the people of Nineveh. And we noticed in verse 3 that he ran away from God's command. The last time we seen him, he was on a boat going towards Tarshish. And that just leads us to two fundamental questions. What happens to Jonah, and ultimately, what happens to Nineveh? We'll focus on the second question in a couple of weeks, but this morning, we're going to focus on that first question. What happens to Jonah? What will God do? What happens when his chosen messengers willfully obeys and runs away from his clear and direct command? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So our main idea is that God mercifully pursues and works through his rebellious messengers for the sake of his mission. So here's my goal. I want us to see how God specifically pursues Jonah and works through Jonah for the sake of his mission. So let's first look at how God mercifully pursues Jonah for the sake of his mission. So three ways we see how God pursues Jonah. We first see that God sends a storm of judgment. Go with me to verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So if you go back in verse 3, we notice that Jonah's response to God's command is what? To run away. We see the intentions of Jonah. This is like an Hail Mary attempt to run away from God's command. That was his intentions. But in verse 4, it starts off to show us what God's intentions are in this situation. It says, but the Lord. Jonah's intentions is to run away, but we're about to see what God's intentions are in this situation. But the Lord is the joy of every believer's testimony in the very nightmare for anybody who's opposed to the Lord. Jonah wanted to run away, but God has other plans. God, in verse 4, sends a great wind on the sea that leads to a great storm. If you go now to verse 5, you can notice that this storm is so bad that professional sailors are scared to death for their lives. It says that the boat itself was on the verge of breaking. Now, don't miss this. In Jonah's day, Professional sailors would have been more than capable of dealing with storms. But in situations like this, when storms just come all of a sudden, just really quickly and all just out of the blue, they would have recognized that this was judgment from a deity. We see in verse 5 this very fact the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So you see the sailors doing anything they can, right? The storm comes, they're panicking, they're throwing the cargo around, they're, they're on their knees praying to their deity. You see the sailors' concern. They want to know what has happened that God's sudden judgment has fell upon them. But notice Jonah's response. It says he was in the inner part of the ship. The Hebrew here emphasizes that it's not just a sleep, it's a deep sleep. This dude is probably snoring. There's a sobering lesson we learn here in Jonah's response. Back in verse 3, we see this word down repeated three times all the way through verse 5. Right when Jonah makes the decision to run away from God's word and presence, his decisions literally start taking him down the wrong path. So much so that when God began to place a judgment on his path to get his attention, Jonah was literally asleep and missed God's clear and direct warning that even pagan sailors can recognize. Brothers and sisters, if we're not careful... Our willful disobedience and turning away from God's word and presence will eventually lead us so far away that you are unable to hear God's clear and direct message to you. Hebrews 12, 5 says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, God's concern here is 
for Jonah to be holy. He wants his people to be holy. He cares about us. He wants us. He loves us. And he always does what's best for us and for his glory. Can we apply this to COVID? I do believe over the past 20 months that God has been cleaning up his church absolutely. And I do believe he has been sending a clear and direct warning to his people. We see the world just like the sailors running around and panicking and trying to do anything they can to heal the situation and take care of the situation. But how has the church been handling all of this? What about God's people? Are we like Jonah, asleep, complacent, uncaring? Is it possible that we could be missing God's clear and direct warning and message to us this morning through a pandemic? God here wanted Jonah and chose Jonah for a specific purpose, and Jonah was running away. So God sends a storm of judgment to get his attention. Secondly, we see how God pursues Jonah by confronting him in his sin. So again, picture the scene. The sailors are on top of the ship. They're throwing their cargo everywhere. They're praying to their false gods. And an old boy goes down to the bottom of the ship, and he sees this guy who's paid money to get on the boat with him, and he is in there snoring and sleeping. Can you imagine? He's probably mad. He's infuriated. He goes to the ship captain, and he says, Hey, man, this dude who just paid money, he is asleep down there, and we're about to die. What is up with this dude? So notice in verse 6 how the captain handles it. He goes down to Jonah. He says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Can I encourage you to underline that statement? Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish because we will see that throughout the rest of Jonah. In other words, this is what he says. Hey, man, do you not care that we are all about to die? Do you not care that God has placed his judgment on us? Do something, Jonah. This waking up had to scare Jonah to death. It was a nightmare. This desperate plea from the captain, in a sense, is the same thing that he heard from God in verse 2. God says, arise, go to Nineveh. In other words, God says, arise, go to Nineveh so that they may not perish. The captain's words here are convicting. They're confronting. You can just imagine this deep moment of deep introspecting. Jonah's probably saying, Jonah, just arise. Do what God has called you to do. Quit running away. Care that people are not perishing. Right in verse 7, we take us to the next scene where we're on the top of the boat. And it says, And they said, the sailors, to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, if you've read the Bible most of your life, you know that when someone casts lots in the Bible, they believe that it is God who is revealing something to them. They're seeking the Lord's guidance. They're just seeking the Lord's answer. In this text, God reveals to them who is responsible for the judgment that's on them. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
So the crew cast their lots. God reveals to them that Jonah is the one who is responsible for this situation. So they do the obvious thing. They run to him like a crowd of paparazzi talking to a celebrity, and they begin to pound this dude with questions. Verse 8, they say to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Notice his response, verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The crew here wants to know who this man is, what he has done, and what God he has offended. These questions, again, had to burn inside of Jonah. He, in this moment, is being confronted. Once again, don't forget the irony. He is being confronted by pagans. Of this reality that what he is doing, that he is running away from God's clear and direct command. Jonah says here in the Hebrew that he is a worshiper of Yahweh, but notice that he doesn't answer what his occupation is. I love this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. He says, he was no longer to say that I am a prophet of the Lord. His witness had been silenced. The very work for which he had been created lay incomplete. He had no word from God to give. Notice verse 10, Sailor's response. It says, The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It is amazing to me that pagan sailors take Jonah's disobedience more serious than he does. They are saying, in essence, What are you doing, Jonah? The supreme God is after you, and you had the nerve to try to run away? What is the matter with you, dude? We feel the weight here of Jonah's sin and disobedience in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, Jonah's disobedience is foolish and deserves punishment. Jonah's disobedience and attitude needs a radical change. Psalm 5, 4 through 6 says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may, dwell in, may not dwell with you. The boastful share not, uh, shall not stand before your eyes, nor you hate all evil doers. God hates sin. He wants nothing to do with it, and he don't want his people to have anything to do with it either. At this moment, by his mercy, God confronts Jonah in his sin through the lips of pagans so that he can get Jonah's intention and devotion. Third thing we see, we see how God pursues Jonah by wrecking his attempt of running away. Drop down to verse 15. So they picked up Jonah they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So we'll get here in a little bit. But we ultimately see that the sailors do exactly what Jonah was hoping to happen. They throw him overboard. But don't miss this reality. In essence, God stops Jonah completely from running away from him. There is... No more running away from the Lord. He can't go an inch further. God stops Jonah in his tracks and changes the trajectory of what Jonah was originally hoping to do. I love Proverbs 16.9. It says, The heart of man plans his way, 
but the Lord establishes his steps. Me and Megan have been together for over eight years. We've been married for, uh, golly, three years. I about lost my count there. <laughs> and we have learned this very fact so often in our relationship. Before we got married, we had all these ambitions oh, we're going to get married, and we're going to have this, and we're going to do that, and this is going to look like this, and we're going to go and do all these things all the time. Even in the pregnancy and delivery, we had all these plans of natural birth, and God has just taught us over and over and over again that we're not in control. He is. In this story, God teaches Jonah that he is not in control. God's in control. You see, sometimes God uses our own hopes and plans to get our attention. This happened to Jonah. Jonah's plan was to get on this boat to run the opposite direction from God's command. But God looked down on these chain of events, and he had other plans. He allowed Jonah to get on the boat to experience all that he experienced. And through the very means of Jonah's own plans, God intervenes. And pursued him until he stopped running. What we see here is that when God chooses someone to do something for him in his kingdom, he won't stop pursuing that person until they obey and do it. Our goals and intentions can change, but God's purposes never do. Isaiah 46.10 says, My counsel shall stand, and listen, I will accomplish all my purpose. God, by his mercy, didn't give up on Jonah. He could have. He should have. But by his grace, he didn't. Jonah was God's chosen vessel to go to the people of Nineveh, and God was not going to quit pursuing this man until he got his attention and obedience. Market church, God will accomplish his purposes through his chosen people one way or another. Sometimes God will get our attention when we first fall off the path. But other times it might take literally being thrown overboard off a boat before our eyes are finally open. The good news is that he doesn't quit on you even though you quit on him. He doesn't quit on you even though you quit on him. Praise God he doesn't give up on his broken vessels this morning. Second point we see in this passage is that God mercifully works through Jonah for the sake of his mission. This is amazing. The reality that God willingly uses his tainted and runaway messengers to share his message is both humbling and praiseworthy. The Apostle Paul says this, Philippians 1, down at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18 is amazing. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I've heard this over and over, and it astounds me. I hear of churches and individuals who were so against using songs and resources and books that people who they don't agree with have 
brought out and, and has blessed the church because they say that it is from tainted people. That their theology is whacked up. That notion is absolutely absurd. It contradicts what Paul says here. It contradicts who the person of Jonah represents. If a song or resource proclaims the gospel, if it's faithful to the word of God, if it points to the character of God, and it's anointed by the spirit of God, you and I should have no problem with that song or resource. And we should be mature enough to celebrate and praise God that he has made himself known to many people through that very means, no matter who wrote or created it. The fact that six million people right now have watched Justin Bieber lead worship at a church should bring us joy. It shouldn't say, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's leading worship. God has anointed that man for a moment, even as for a moment, to make himself known to over six million people who I dare say majority do not know Jesus whatsoever. I digress. It is God's business, not ours, as to who he decides to use and work through to make himself and his gospel known. Jonah here is the perfect example of this very fact. In this passage, we see God working through and using rebellious Jonah for the sake of his mission, even when Jonah had no desire to do so. Let me show you a few ways. Verse 9, we see that through Jonah's words, God reveals his character to the sailors. Let's go back to verse 8. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Again, the sailors completely understood that it was God's judgment on them at that moment. And they want to know what God Jonah worshipped and what is that God, the God of. Notice verse 9 again. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah says this. I worship Yahweh, the supreme God who created everything that exists on this planet, in this universe. We see this same statement about who God is in two different verses. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no Pride. Psalm 95, 3 through 5 says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The sailors here want to know who Jonah worshipped and what deity he was God of. Jonah answers that the God he worships, Yahweh, is the supreme God who created everything. This answer petrifies the sailors. They say, what is this that you have done? You're running away from that, God? Are you crazy, Jonah? This is what I want you to see. Commentator said that this week, and it was perfect. Even when Jonah was trying to run away from God's command, even then, he couldn't help but do what he was called to do. He couldn't help but to be a prophet. Notice the irony. Jonah runs away because he doesn't want to preach to pagan people, but God uses him in his rebellion to preach to pagan people. 
Through the rebellious Jonah's words, God reveals his character to these sailors. Further, we see through Jonah's blatant disobedience, God reveals his justice to the sailors. Go down to verse 11. So they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. In other words, what can we do, Jonah, so that Yahweh's judgment can be satisfied? Their question reminds me of Acts chapter 2 after Peter preaches and the people ask this question, brothers, then what shall we do? The sailors want to know how they can be saved. Notice Jonah's response, verse 12. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, contextually, his response is heartbreaking because his response points to his rebellious heart. Jonah, in essence, says, kill me before I go back to Nineveh. Kill me. Notice in verse 13, the sailors try to roll away to not do what Jonah says to do. That's what Jonah should have said. Jonah should have told the sailors, yeah, take me back to shore so I can listen to the Lord and go to Nineveh. But he doesn't. He just says, throw me overboard, kill me. I'd rather die than go to see Nineveh. But this is what's amazing. God sovereignly reaches down on this story and flips his message up on his head. Even through his disobedience, even through Jonah's cold heart, God reveals his justice to the sailors. You see, Jonah's intention with this answer was an escape goat to God's mission. But God flips his message on his head and reveals to the sailors exactly what the cost is to satisfy his holy wrath. Romans 6.23, you know this well. For the wages of sin is death. Jonah was right. To satisfy God's righteous justice, he deserved to die. He deserved death. All people, including the sailors on that ship, including us, fall short of God's glory. And the Bible says that the wages of that very sin is death. Jonah deserves death. The sailors deserve death. We deserve death. In reality, all sin deserves death. And I don't think we should overlook the sailors' response. Notice that they try their best to do the opposite of what Jonah says. They try to do things their way, but watch what happens. They never could. They didn't want Jonah's blood on their hands. They thought that there was another way to escape. They thought that they could handle the situation, but they couldn't. There's nothing that they could do. There's nothing that anyone can do to escape our deserving of God's righteous judgment in and of ourselves. We are helpless and lost out at sea, just like the sailors were, deserving of God's judgment. Even through his disobedience, it's amazing. God reveals his justice to the sailors. Finally, we see that through Jonah's punishment, God reveals his mercy to the sailors. Go down to verse 15 again. It says, so they picked up Jonah, 
They hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Again, Jonah was unwilling to go to a pagan city to proclaim God's message of warning, which ultimately would lead to mercy. But in his sovereignty, God uses this representative in the context of his own rebellion to use him to display his mercy to other pagan people. This is something that our God only can do. Jonah's punishment ultimately is a sign of the work and gospel of Jesus Christ, where God in flesh willingly chose to take the punishment we sinners deserved in our place on the cross. Jonah here was picked up. He was thrown overboard into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging, leading to the sailors receiving God's mercy and therefore being transformed into worshipers of Yahweh. Listen, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was lifted on a sinner's cross, fully paying our debt, fully satisfying God's holy wrath. And that leads to God's mercy being poured out on all who repent and receive God, Jesus, as both Savior and Lord, in which are then transformed into children and worshipers of the living God. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is incredible. In God's pursuit of Jonah to get his attention, he uses the very thing that Jonah hoped for to stop him from running away and to show these sailors mercy. Only God can use runaway prophets to reach pagan sailors and transform them into worshipers of Yahweh. Amen? So what? I have one question for us today. I just think it's such so appropriate for what we have just heard that God pursues and works through his runaway messengers. Are you obeying the God who never gives up on you? Are you obeying the God who never gives up on you? So back in July of 2017, um, I had such the honor, one of the greatest highlights of my life was being ordained into pastoral ministry and was at Parkwood and I had, was up there with three other guys who worked at Parkwood as well. And, and so at that service, we worshiped, we sung, we um, were encouraged in different, different ways like that. But at the end of the service, they sat all four of us who were going to be ordained up on stage and, and Pastor Jeff invited all active and retired ordained pastors to come up to stage and single file line, they came and prayed over every single one of us who were sitting there on stage. Pastor Stephen was one of them. At the end of the line was Pastor Jeff from Parkwood. And so he kind of personalized each encouragement to each of us as he went through. But at the very end of his encouragement, he looked right at us and he quoted this verse, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As I've reflected on that moment so often, as I've reflected on this verse this week, a few things that I've been reminded of. First is that God has called me to this specific work. 
He has called me to be a pastor and shepherd. I am responsible for that work. It matters what I do and do not do. My holiness matters. And because of all of these things, I am responsible to fight for them. I'm responsible to fight to be obedient each day of my life. It's important this morning for me to be disciplined. It's important that I do my very best each day to practice spiritual disciplines, prayer and and scripture, worship. I am responsible before God as to the things he has called me to do. And when I begin to fall away and when I begin to to fall short and, and lose sight of those responsibilities and when I lose sight of the Lord and his mission, God pursues me and does whatever it takes to get my attention and refocus me on him and his kingdom. Second thing that I've realized is that God, by his grace, doesn't make me do this work on my own. He doesn't tell me to do something and just gives me the ball and leaves me to do it with my own power. No. He has told me to do something, then through his spirit, He provides the giftedness, and he provides the strength to do those things. He never leaves me by myself. God is the one who called, gifted, and is actively working through in the promise in Philippians 1.16, or 1.6, is that he will bring that work to completion. It's amazing. He saves us. He gives us a mission to do. And then he works through us by his own spirit to accomplish his mission. Here's the deal. We just have to be willing vessels. The same is true for you this morning. If you are in Christ, as I mentioned last week, God has called you to a specific thing or things in your life. He has gifted you and he has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. He's commanded you to embrace the things in your life that he called you to be for the sake of his glory. You are responsible for a holy God as to what you do and do not do with the callings he has placed on you in your life. Your holiness matters. God wants to have a deep abiding relationship with you each day. And when you begin to drift away and when you begin to take your eyes off him and his mission, God will pursue you and do whatever it takes to get your attention even if that means throw you off the side of a boat. Here's the other encouragement for you. God doesn't just leave you alone. He doesn't just let you sit stagnant. He doesn't just expect you to go on mission for him on your own. No, he works in and through you for the sake of his mission. He has saved you through his son. He has given you a work to do. And by his grace, he has placed his spirit inside of you. And he gifts you and he strengthens you for that very work. And mark it down, church. He will bring that work to completion one day. Brothers and sisters, the encouragement in Jonah this morning is that God, by his grace, pursues us. He wants us. And even when we fall, He still works through us because that's just how merciful he really is. God doesn't quit on us. Amen? Even though he absolutely would be justified in doing so. No, 
even though we so often quit on him, he never quits on us. Yes, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the name of Jesus. So let me ask you this question again, then we'll close. Are you obeying the God who never gives up on you? Let's pray. Father, your love and your mercy is astounding. That while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die on our behalf. And through him, you declare us righteous and holy. And God, we are amazed this morning that when we fall, even though we deserve your punishment and wrath, you pursue us because your name, your glory, and your mission matters to you. Oh God, stir our hearts for you this morning. Tear down the barriers and the disobedience and the excuses that we all so build up in our lives. And oh God, fix our eyes on you and your mission this morning, Lord Jesus. I pray for the soul in this room who's never experienced the mercy of your son. Oh God, may today be the day of salvation. Save souls in this place. And oh God, commission your people for your work. Lead us now to your response and to you. May we sing of your glory and your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.